Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Tuesday edition OutKick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. With Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow back with us later this week. Our thanks to John McClain for joining us. If you've missed portions of today's show, you can always find it on the podcast wherever you download your audio. Just search out Outkick 360. Tom Brady and Fox Sports. Um, news coming out earlier today through Lachlan Murdoch and Fox that Tom Brady has agreed to a, uh, a massive contract. The reports from the New York Post, 10 years, $375 million, that will begin as soon as Brady decides to call it a career in the NFL. Of course, he's playing this year with Tampa. He could play as long as he wants to. But as soon as he's done, Paul, he's headed to the booth with Fox Sports. He's the face of Fox Sports now, effectively. Monumental career decision for uh, a guy pre-retirement, which we haven't seen from, uh, from guys of his magnitude. There are few guys of his magnitude. But Peyton Manning, we were saying earlier, has still not decided really what he wants to do all the way. Uh, post-retirement. He's been retired long enough to be in the Hall of Fame yeah. now. Um, and he's doing the Manning cast, but it's only 10 games a year um, with his brother. Um, you know, still a lot of speculation that he wants to be involved in ownership. He's sitting back waiting to see what happens with the Broncos sale. Um, could want to be uh, in, in management and a GM type position or, or more for, for a franchise. But here's Brady on the contrary. Um, not going to go that path where he takes a year or two after he's done playing to spend more time with his family. He got enough during those 40 days of retirement. Um, and he's going to dive right in as soon as he's done. And he's going to be a broadcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're all for it. We said this earlier in the show. It's going to be tremendous TV. Um, the overwhelming assumption is he's going to be great. I think it's hard to find a reason why you think he would be bad in this role and it's clear he wants to be around the game and by this type of deal he's more than just the guy in the booth I think he'll be more of a, a face to a front-facing figure for Fox Sports throughout than it is just oh he's the he's the uh, commentary with Kevin Burkhardt on Sundays. This, this seems like way more than that. Here are the only I, I, I want to say potential downsides it's not necessarily a potential downside I, I mean you worry about a guy who's new to it he's always going to be better after the guys he played with cycle out of the league because he's less likely to be critical of former teammates or colleagues how far will he go with that once he's in the booth if you go a little further you tend to be a little better instead of painting a rosy picture on everything as it relates to guys who you played with um, and, and then, you know, certain 
stories come out in the course of what you're covering that you want tied back to experiences from his career, how revealing will he be about things that went on with the Patriots and Bray uh, and Belichick and, you know, this Super Bowl run or that playoff experience yeah. and things like that. Will he pull the curtain down a little bit on stuff that had been super private or will he remain super private? Those are the two questions I have about how, how it goes. The more revealing he is on those two fronts, the better it will be. But I think even if he's guarded on those two things, he'll still be very, uh, very good. And we get to see the game through how he sees it in real time, which is going to be fascinating. Yep. You know, that, that's the other quality to this. Um, you know, with the man in the arena, we're seeing him look back on his career. Now we get the immediate reaction to whatever he's watched. I, I'm here for it. I, I think it's going to be awesome. I mean, um, just thinking from, from our perspective, how about the idea of him <clears throat> calling a, a Mike Vrabel coached yeah, game yeah. where he's good friends with Mike Vrabel, played with Mike Vrabel for eight years and could say, you know, from what I know of my friend Mike Vrabel, I could see – a blitz here for these reasons based on things. Or there's some insight there. Think about him in the booth if Belichick's coaching in New England at the time. Yeah. You know, like that, all of that plays up. Give back. you a Titans, uh, Titans Patriots game. Uh, Think of the insight there. All the ties now. Josh McDaniels out in, in Vegas. You know, there's, there's plenty of examples of this. Um, and Garoppolo. Yeah. I mean, some of those current things will will be good. Some and now, of them, you know, with Fox, if if the NFC, you know, tie-in remains as as steady, and I don't know what the new hundred billion dollar contracts factor into this on on the type of game and you know opt-ins or opt-outs that that networks may have based on matchups, but traditionally it's the the NFC road road opponent if they're the road team of on the road against the AFC, Fox has that game. Uh, it's NFC versus NFC, Fox has that game. Um, and now that Brady's been in the NFC now going on three years, we, he has a pretty good list of teams that he's familiar with defensively as well. So it'll be awesome. Um, I did see where Byron Leftwich, and, and this goes right in line with all the reports, Byron Leftwich said, yeah, the offense without uh, Arians is not going to be any different than when he was here. Like, it, this is the, the Brady effect on that group and the fact that the reports were Brady and Leftwich came up with the game plans and came up with the offensive system that Arians then signed off on at the end of the week. I don't believe that. I mean, you could say that and it's diplomatic and everything, but they're autonomous now. I mean, I'm sure Todd Bowles it has – you know, he's the head coach and he's made that clear and he's got final authority over everything like every head coach does. But there are certain setups where the coordinator on the other side of the ball amounts to head coach for that side of the ball. I would think left, which is practically that, particularly paired with Brady. No, Brady's that. Yeah, and so those guys are more independent than they were when the, then when the head coach was an offensive guy in Arians. Yeah, and but so I, it's by its very I, nature going to be different. There's one last person. I don't person. think it will be. The, the, the constant is Tom Brady. Uh, you, Tom Brady coming in there running his offense, they brought the players in that he wanted uh, when he first uh, decided to go to Tampa over L.A. Um, so I don't uh, – with the Chargers. So I, I don't 
I don't foresee the offense being that much different. But I buy the report that Arians was redlining some stuff. So even if he redlined three plays, those three plays are back in. And so the offense is three plays different. Yeah, but the offensive system is not different. Like the no. no, nothing well, terminology-wise is, is changing. Oh, no, it's not like – um, th- Those plays that he redlined were still in the playbook that they ran. But on Sunday, you'll see three plays that maybe Arians didn't want and Brady and Leftwich did. Um, last night, uh, the Grizzlies and Preds bowed out of their games basically at the same time. The Preds ended and were swept by Colorado. And about 45 seconds later, the game ended uh, in game four where the Warriors took a 3-1 series advantage over the Grizzlies um, in, in that uh, Western Conference matchup. But the Preds here swept, and they've been eliminated by the best team in hockey, the Colorado Avalanche, who were sensational. The, 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 the hype going into the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs were you don't want to be a team facing Colorado right out of the gate. You know, you, you pity the team that has to be the wild card matchup for them. And all of those uh, predetermined series uh, – factors uh, played in here it was not much of a series and the Preds had their their first lead of the series in this game this, last night and it was late and it didn't last that long no uh, I mean look any chance they had at pulling any kind of upset or making it any kind of a series I think was lost late in the game season two. when well when Soros went down oh the Soros injury an plays injury. a fact they still lose this series and they I, may be swept I, I agree entirely but if you're going to do anything you're going to do it because you get excellent goaltending and they had one game of excellent goaltending uh, in, in this series and the rest of it what they gave up seven goals twice and six goals once yes uh, 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 but, you know empty Col- netters Colorado's count too. Uh, roster is fantastic I mean it, yeah the uh, car and all, all of those. I mean, the, the, it's just an it, incredible consistency through their four games um, where it looked like at times just a, a different level of opponent than the one that locally we're familiar with. But, you know, traditionally league wide, you're familiar with the Preds being in the postseason. They didn't look like a postseason team in part because they didn't have their starting goaltender but in large part because they were playing Colorado. I hope these playoffs get better as, uh, as we move uh, advance around because uh, we talked about this with Darren McCarty. There are not a lot of close games going on. There have been 32 games played, three overtime games. Beyond those three overtime games, only two more games that have been one-goal games. Yeah. And playoff hockey is about edge-of-your-seat, third-period, one-goal or tied games where every rush could make a difference. Well, when it's 7-3, guess what? I'm out. Yeah. Even last night, um, the the first game, Dallas is playing. And, you know, there's a a situation where it's it's tight. It's 1-1, and it may be in the third. And all of a sudden, you look up, and there are five or six goals scored. Yeah. Um, in that one late. And some of these series might be 2-2. So the series looks good, yeah, yeah, but it's been 7-3 right. and 6-2. And, and so the series looks good on paper, but the scores do not. In terms of the basketball game, I mean, I thought the Grizzlies did their job in terms of playing hellacious defense. And the Warriors shot very poorly, but so did the Grizz. I mean, they were both, what, under uh, shot very poorly from three. Uh, I have the shooting percentages here in front of me. I mean, they both shot 
the Warriors were 24% from three. So they were nine of 37. Nine for 37. And the, and the Grizz were nine for 35. And overall, Warriors shot 40%. Grizz shot 42%. It was not an offensive outpouring by any means. And that's no. how the Grizz stayed in the game. But ultimately, Warriors were just a bit too much to overcome. So I respect the defensive effort. But without Morant, uh, just not enough offense to take ad- advantage of it. But it wasn't pretty to look at at all. No. Um, and, and neither was this finish for, for the Nashville Preds. Uh, we've got um, Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network who will join us in eight minutes. But, Paul, speaking of the Preds, they're, they're in a, at a fork in the, the road, so to speak, where they've been consistent in getting to the postseason, uh, but yet again bow out quickly. First time we've chasing seen this. that Stanley Cup final yeah. and trying to, from what, 2017 and trying to. It's very to clear, yeah, the 2017 match it season. Forever, and they just don't have that, enough firepower or talent to do it. Well, I don't know. They're at a, very, they're at a crossroads, um, and that might be a, an overstep a bit based on what we've seen talent wise. Um, but to say they don't have the talent to do it, all the talent that they've invested in are coming off of career years. And they were the worst team in the postseason. And Duchesne and Forsberg and Yossi and Carrier and Janot, uh, Tomasino, Granlin. We saw all these players um, produce career seasons for the Nashville Predators. They've got uh, the Norris Trophy finalist who's likely to win it in Yossi. They have a Vesna Trophy finalist in net. And Saros wasn't able to finish the season due to injury. Um, but given all that, they're in a situation where they weren't even close to being competitive with their first-round opponent. Yeah, and so what do you do from here? I think there, there's a widespread feeling in Nashville they need real upheaval and real uh, turn it over. And maybe, I should mention Trennan in that. Yakov Trennan yeah. is a restricted free agent. He's not going anywhere. He's coming off a great season. Um, and Forsberg's and, contract is up here. Yeah, They're not expected, I don't think, to, to pony up what it would take to keep him. I think they have to. If they don't, Poyle's out. I mean, that, that'll be the nail in the coffin for him. If he loses, um, if he loses him and gets nothing in return at the trade deadline, he should have traded Forsberg to be back. If they don't bring him back, that is a colossal failure. But wouldn't you say, in hindsight, to, to, to I, keep know, him and stay Paul, together to get into the playoffs did, and do this, they should have dealt him. A year the, ago, the, it may have been a yeah, year ago today, I was willing to deal him then. I wanted to get something in return for Philip Forsberg and not let him play me the way Ryan Suter played this organization. They should, and they have been. They have now set themselves up for that exact result, um, and it's not being discussed enough. You know, last night the the final the, the curtain call for him might be the penalty late in the third period, um, where he's one of the the best players we've seen, electric players we've seen. He's not in the upper class of his position. But he's also not in the B-level group either. He's right in between. He's like a 1B. And the question is, how do you compensate him moving forward? They get zero compensation for him now if he signs elsewhere, where he Which would have been a, uh, a, a trade piece at the trade deadline. They, they chose not to do it. They have a roster that was not predicted to go to the postseason, and they got there. But at this stage, they need to be producing more than what they've been producing. The, the Peter Laviolette era is now done, and that was effective in the bubble. We knew that there was a, there was a fork in the road there, too, where they were, going, they were in transition. How are they going to rebuild the roster but stay competitive? They've stayed competitive, but ultimately, what does that mean? And 
Um, I, I know that uh, Adam Vingan at The Athletic had a nice uh, column about really good this, piece. about wanting to hear from ownership. Finally, someone else in this city is tired of hearing Sean Henry speak on behalf of ownership, like I am. And, and Adam Vingan is now saying this in a column. It's time for the local ownership group that, by the way, has doubled their money since they purchased the team in 2007 um, for what that organization is now considered to be worth, according to Forbes. It's time for them to speak on behalf of the organization and tell us where the organization is headed. Because all we've heard is from David Poyle and Sean Henry, and we, we know we can rinse and repeat what that's going to be. It's either going to be a competitive rebuild, which Poyle would regret saying, um, or it's, you know, we're going to stay the course and we trust in the, the way David Poyle's taking us. At some point, you have to know where you're getting off the train or if the train is on the tracks that you want it to be on. Yeah, and, and Vingen wrote, Herb Fritsch, the, the chairman, doesn't sit in uh, owner's box. He right. sits in the crowd. That's how anonymous this guy is. He can sit in the crowd. I don't think your ownership can be that anonymous. Ultimately, the, we've seen the decisions of a coach and a, a GM who's been the GM for the entire history of the league. We now need to see ownership-level decisions made about that GM and about that coach, who's, who's uh, John Hines, who's got an option mm -hmm. now. We need to see ownership-level decisions about what you do with the franchise at this stage. And well, not from your mouthpieces as your well, GM they, and your president of right. hockey, opera, or, uh, hockey business. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a reasonable thing to say, hey, we don't even know who you are. And, and you're directing traffic now for this franchise. A lot of people, by the way, up for renewals on their, their seats that you've been uh, selling and getting a lot of money out of off of when you were a more competitive franchise. Cynthia Freeland is straight ahead from NFL Network from an analytics perspective. She can't wait for Bills and Titans in week two on Monday Night Football. We'll get her perspective on the Titans offseason and what they've done now without A.J. Brown moving forward. Um, and we'll get her reaction to the NFL draft. She, she loves, for instance, the number one overall pick. We haven't talked a lot about Trayvon Walker. Cynthia Freeland tells us why Jacksonville made the right call. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Paul, there are certain guests that we have on where we feel smarter for having them on uh, because of the information they provide. Our next guest... Uh, leads the list for that. Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network, joins us on Outkick 360. Cynthia, always great to have you on the show. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Good to, to see you. Yes. Will she feel dumber is the, <laughs> is the question. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, we apologize for making you feel dumber today, Cynthia. Oh, come on. You know you always make me smarter, too. I always love – and I, I got to get to Nashville. Yeah, every you do. Time I, every time we talk, I'm like, I really need to get to – like every time I'm like, oh, man, I need to buy a plane ticket and just go. Come bring it. What uh, what are the Titans facing? 
from your perspective, as they try to kind of fill in what A.J. Brown has given them over the last three years, a team that's not good at uh, developing receivers historically and finally found somebody that really gave them a big play element? Well, you talk about that big play element. So there's two characteristics of big plays. The first characteristic is the one you actually make, like where he catches the ball himself. And then the second is the opportunity he creates both for, you know, a really good running back and the other pass catchers on the team. So when you look to quantify what is A.J. Brown, what is he when you kind of take it holistically, both on ball and off ball production, it's the second highest in the NFL. Only Devontae Adams was higher. So it's going to be some tough shoes to fill. I'm sorry, that doesn't seem like very good news that I'm delivering right now, but second best over three years. How do you guys measure the off ball? So the amount of space that other receivers have, if you get more space when when the you know when when he's on the field because he's commanding the better defender. So you either get the better, the the not as good cornerback, so the better cornerbacks on AJ Brown or better double teams on AJ Brown or there's fewer stacked boxes and the loaded box is clearly something Derek Henry is very familiar with. And it will make a big difference if they don't necessarily have to get a stacked box. He can get a full head of steam going and he's running faster and he's a tough man to bring down once he's able to get that full head of steam. So what did you project for Traylon Burks coming out of Arkansas? And you have anything that tells you or helps you anticipate how quickly he can be an impact guy? Well, I will say I like Traylon Burks a lot. For any player, there's no such thing as like he's going to come right out of the box and be perfect, right? Like Jamar Chase, even last year, who was college teammates with Joe Burrow, he couldn't catch the ball in preseason. Remember, he said he couldn't see it because of the line, and everyone's like, what are you talking about? Turned out working out okay, but there's going to be a learning curve. Now, Traylon Burks did not run every route in the route tree. That is an interesting note, right? But that doesn't necessarily matter, I guess, or maybe they won't ask him to run every route on the route tree. He's very good with the ball in his hands. He has strong hands. The, the, the body control is very high. The red area production, so things that happen in the red zone, he over-indexed in a 10-season sample, top 80% in that one, which is really, really helpful. Anything at or behind the line of scrimmage, closer to the line of scrimmage, he's also very, very, very strong. And I mean that physically and both his production, his ability to earn yards with the ball in his hand after. So the, the question mark there was that he didn't necessarily have the full route tree at his command. Now, that's not his fault. Maybe he wasn't asked to do that. Their offense ran in a specific way. So it's it's something that these coaches will have to decipher. It's just like when you and I get a job or anyone listening gets a job, right? Like your resume is what it is. You've either done something or you haven't yet. Paul pointed this out yesterday, Cynthia, whenever the, the schedule came out, we, we saw Titans Bills week two, Monday night. Uh, we're, we're all about that matchup. We've been about that the previous years on, on, on primetime. Um, but Vegas is extremely high on Buffalo yet again. In fact, they're number one. Uh, they're, they're at the top of the list, what, for the AFC? And the Super Bowl. And the man. Super Bowl. Are, are you Fandals. as high? Are your numbers and analytics as high on Buffalo going into this season as they were a year ago? I think they are. Like I will say the AFC in general, I think that the NFC has a better chance of winning the Super Bowl. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but think about it like this. You don't have as many hard quarterbacks. You don't have as many tough teams. You don't have this gauntlet of situations that could happen. AFC is just so much stronger than the NFC, so you really have to play like one tough game when it comes playoffs as opposed to all of them being tough. Interesting note there for me. So I think maybe the NFC has a strategic advantage in that there are weaker teams in the, in the NFC top to bottom. There are maybe three strong teams in the NFC compared to the AFC where there's like 11 conceivably. 
So that's the first note I have about where Vegas could have that one wrong. I think that the Bills Titans being the second game of the season actually is a pretty significant advantage for the Bills who have more continuity. You lose AJ Brown, you're going to take a couple of games to get that kind of figured out. I don't think it should be as lopsided as it is, but I do understand, especially the way that the schedule plays out, the order of operations, it will change things a little bit, right? Like you have new pieces in the puzzle. The more new pieces you have, it's going to just take some time, but we still have preseason this year. So I think they're getting overly punished that the Titans are getting a little overly punished in this lineup, but it is at home. It is the bills. The bills have a lot of momentum into this year with their off season signings and how close they were last year. So, you know, Vegas has to capitalize on what people believe as well, right? They, they need to make money. Those buildings are, I was just in Vegas for the draft. Those buildings are pretty nice. So <laughs> uh, are you um, as perplexed as we are with, with Baker Mayfield not being moved to another team at this point? And why, why do other teams or why do people hate ba- Baker Mayfield so much, Cynthia? I, I, I look at the former number one overall pick, and while I, I wouldn't draft him number one again, I'm certainly not putting him as my backup if I'm half of the league right now. Pendulum swings so far in either direction. The problem that Baker Mayfield faces is that his salary constraint right now feels daunting given all of the other moves that have happened in free agency to date, but they, and teams need to remain a bit flexible, right? So you still have to pay all your rookies. You have to keep a certain amount of your salary cap for that. And then number two, people need to go to training camp and see where injuries are. If your defensive end gets hurt and, you know, Jadavion Clowney's not signed yet. Like you need to have that money free for that. So I think part of it is this, the part of the season that we're in right now, all of the different dynamics at play, it, people teams are just kind of like, well, we need to wait and see, you know, we're someone's going to get hurt and trade again. Unfortunately, you know, no one wants that to happen. But if you look at the facts and the his in the history of the sport, there's always something, you know, some unfortunate injury happens going into the season. I think Baker, his leverage is completely gone. You know, I, I think that that makes it hard to move him before teams are like, let's get the current guys we have in the building, see what it is and then go from there. Right. So you know, I, I think that's part of it. It's, it's, I think he'll be on a team. He'll, I think he'll be a starter come week one. I just don't exactly know where yet. Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network, our guest on Outkick 360. So tied into the A.J. Brown thing, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, we've had an ongoing conversation here about receiver. The league seems split. A lot of it's tied to quarterback money too. Do you think premier receivers are going to continue to – go on this track where they get big, big money? Or is receiver going to become a little bit like running back where teams discover, hey, there's a slew of wide receivers coming into every draft. Wide receivers, uh, colleges are producing them like crazy the way the college game is. And we're going to find out, I get three years out of my second or third rounder. I get four years out of my first rounder. I, I can ship him out of here, get another one, and he's going to come in and very quickly be able to do the same kind of thing. I think there's two things at play here, and you you nailed the number one word, which is college. I think that the change in NIL, name, image, likeness, in college, and the fact that college players, especially the ones at skill positions, are going to be able to earn a salary while they're in school. And by the way, for some people, that is a very big salary. See the guy from Pitt who's coming out here to USC to you know make $3 million. So I think it's going to change the number of year that a wide receiver stays in college because they're not going to make that their first season in the NFL. So I think we're going to have this lull right now. We're seeing the lull. You got it. The receivers are going to stay in school a little bit longer. So you've got maybe a a two year window 
where things are, the market will re-equalize itself. The invisible hand will come in and things will get back to normal. But I think teams who believe right now that they are very close and they are structured in a way that needs that number one wideout, they went and paid for it because they don't have two years to wait. Right. So I think part of that has to do with the way name image likeness and the kids getting, getting paid is going to eventually play out. But I also think that you're right in the long run. I think you'll see a tiering system more of, of wide receivers and there won't be like a, a middle class of wide receiver. There'll be a low one and there'll be like the really high ones and it will be win now mode or, you know, we're, we're trying to get that, that structured contract. Like you talk about X years out of a second round or Y years out of a third. Cynthia Freeland, our guest. Cynthia, in your draft preparation, did the did the pick for Trayvon Walker to Jacksonville make sense to you? I, I joked. Um, normally, you can make any highlight reel matter. You can make it look really good. I I found it difficult to find highlights of Trayvon Walker doing what Jacksonville drafted him to do. Um, is he a more ra- a well-rounded player than what I'm giving him credit for? I think he's a higher upside player. I don't think you've seen the best of what Trayvon Walker has to offer. I think that Jacksonville, as they looked at their current roster and they have Josh Allen there and they couldn't trade out of that number one slot and they spent all of their money in free agency and Trent Falke, maybe this is his swan song. Maybe he's just trying to, who knows, right? So I I don't think this was a, this was not a pick where the lot, I think the logic went with go for the future and maybe not like the future in 2022, but like the future beyond that as opposed to really thinking about like, okay, let's build from the inside out. You know, you talk about here, all these team builders inside out. So you want your interior line, but like all that. No, this was like a, I like his upside. Let's put it. This was not a analytically, analytically sound draft. If I am evaluating it from the outside. You love Sky Moore to Kansas city and you've got him as offensive rookie of the year. What makes him such a great fit there? He's a really good quarterback, number one. <laughs> number two, he has Andy Reid crafting an offense for him who that's going to be. And three, Travis Kelsey's still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. They brought in MVS, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who has a specific role. They brought in a bunch of guys who were some role players on other teams that are more known quantities. And then he's got this like great opportunity. Look, I don't I don't know if I think, well, we got to wait till training camp to be really real about that. But if, if I had to say between him or Christian Watson, the two that went to a good quarterback, I, I think I give Sky more of the edge there because he's in the flashier system, the one that you'll see. You know, I know Aaron Rodgers is really good, but there's a lot of question marks it going on. And and the, by the way, the Packers, they're in a much less competitive division. The AFC West is full of teams that are really, really good. So they're going to have to be flashier, right? So that's that's just kind of why my logic would say Sky Moore would be a good one to consider, especially since, you know, other than Kenny Pickett, are these quarterbacks going to play? You know, there, there are certain situations where you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's going to work out well. Sky Moore is an example. David Ajabo in Baltimore is another one. Like, if he ends up on some random defense, you're like, you know what? He just disappears because of his Achilles injury. But because he ends up in Baltimore, he's probably Defensive Player of the Year a year from now. Uh, we're talking about him whenever he's actually fully rehabbed, and they have the advantage of waiting on him. I know you had him mocked in the first round to Baltimore, and they end up with him anyway. So I know you're on board with this line of thinking. One million percent. I think Mike McDonald, when he was at Michigan – unlocked the beginning of David Ojabo's potential. And I think that the Ravens, due to 
See, the hard part for Ojaba was if it wasn't the Ravens, maybe somebody wouldn't know what he's capable of. But his coach and that system fully knows what he's potential and where he could potentially fit and how he could contribute. So like that ended up being a first round pick for next year, but they just got it a year early and they won't be able to cash that check until next year, likely with the Achilles injury sustained. You know, like I said, I had him in that first round ahead of sustaining the Achilles injury at his pro day. So I think that I I think that's a that is the Ravens got the most Ravens player. Like they, they got people who are fully formed Ravens. Like it's if they were like, they like already had a Ravens tattoo before they even, yeah. you know, draft got some guys who are really just Ravens, you know, like you're like, well, this, this makes perfect sense. Do you like the direction of the jets keyed by their draft as much as most of America seems to like it? I do in part because look like you got to surround your quarterback that you took last year with the best opportunity to succeed. And I think, you know, look, their O-line, I guess you got to believe they they made two first-round investments over the past few years over on O-line players. And, you know, we got to, I guess, assume that we haven't seen the best from their O-line because I hated their O-line last year. And Mekhi Becton, is he going to be healthy? <laughs> Elijah Vera Tucker has been good, but not like world-beating. So we'll see. But the rest of the picks, they've solidified their defense, being, you know, nobody thought Jermaine Johns would be around at 10, let alone 26. Um, and then, you know, Garrett Wilson was the best receiver in the draft per my math and Daniel Jeremiah, like when we, when we agree, um, cause he's really smart and, you know, you got a running back who's in Brees hall, who's going to be super impactful day one. And they, they needed a corner too. So, and they obviously got him very, very high in sauce Gardner. So when I look and what they did, like they're saying, we believe in you go out there and show us what you got. They're taking their best crack at it. This is a really nice, a nicely built team, assuming the O-line is good. I'm going to put that asterisk there because that is super impactful. But let's be honest, it went from like four wins to like seven wins. So it's good. They're, they're not, you know, I'm not worried about them this season if I were other teams. Of the of the quarterbacks um, after Pickett, I, I would describe them as these lottery lottery tickets for teams. You know, if they get the chance to cash in. Which of the quarterbacks do you foresee having the best shot at doing so? Which, which team do you think look, looks back on this four or five years from now that has the best shot at cashing in on a third-round quarterback? The highest guy is your guy. I think Malik Willis has the most potential from any of all of the quarterbacks that I studied, all the ones that were drafted and one that wasn't drafted but got picked up later by the Eagles. But ultimately, you know, the the skill sets there, the athleticism is there, the the raw clay is there. It's going to come down to teaching. But I think the one that we'll probably see on a shorter order, I think that Desmond Ritter has a really good chance to succeed. A guy very familiar with Titans, kind of molding with the Marcus Mariota, Arthur Smith, kind of learning from that like that mold. Desmond Ritter has some similar attributes to him. So it's, you know, that's, that's one that I like, but it's funny to me, Desmond Ritter is one year and one day uh, younger than Sam Darnold, which is mind blowing. <laughs> like, like, like that you're like, I had to read that like seven, seven times. I'm like, this can't be right. You know, like, the, like what it's right. It's correct. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of an interesting one too, kind of as an older player. So, you know, I think, but I think the one that has a chance to really be special is Malik Willis. He was the best, the best raw skills that, you know, I could evaluate the way that I measure all the different attributes. He has the best, you know, kind of metrics in those regards, but it, it, it all comes down to being cultivated in a system. And that will, that will be a huge, hugely impactful thing. Did you have Pickett as the number one quarterback on your board? 
Malik Willis was my number one. Okay. Pickett was my most pro ready. Pickett had faced the most um, def- like defenses that look like an NFL defense, meaning almost no one in the NFL plays a base defense, almost, you know, the front or, you know, and, and there's a lot of disguised man versus zone coverages on the back end. So he's the guy who had faced the most of those and he had the highest passer rating when facing them. So he was, to me, that's like one of the ways you, you would call someone pro ready. So he was the most pro ready for me as, as far as those things were concerned. We'd heard things about Matthew Butler from the university of Tennessee, maybe rising, um, 175th maybe wasn't, uh, as, as rising as, as we thought, but, uh, you've clearly got strong feelings for the Raiders pick. What, what prompted that in you? Well, I worked at the East West Shrine Bowl and he was a participant in the East West Shrine Bowl. This kid, I, I, I love him. Like I unabashedly love him as a human being. He was kind and like really, uh, I, his whole story is just the amount of accountability he's taken for his family, for the things that, you know, kids his age usually don't do like this kid's special. So I was really happy to see him find a home. It's possible that maybe like, you know, the Raiders saw a little something, you know, when, when they came out the East West Shrine Bowl and, you know, we were talking to him after he was a real adult, you know, he, he was very mature and wanted to, he wanted it so badly. I was just so happy for him, but in terms of profile, you know, he's a true three, he's played some zero technique, but I, like and a lot of teams don't necessarily use that in they they need more of a hybrid and he's kind of more of a true you know this watching him as closely as you guys did but I, I as far as humans go amazing and I thought you know 175 may have been a little rich but I think that they you know I I was really happy that they got that he went somewhere that he has a chance to be a, a, a get a good number of snaps. Have the Colts done enough around Matt Ryan at, at wide receiver? They've got Alec Pierce. Uh, we should put Jel- Jelani Woods in this mix too at tight end. We know um, you love him. Yeah. Uh, where? How, how would you assess what they've done at the skilled positions with Matt Ryan now their quarterback? So one of the ways that we saw Matt Ryan be most successful was with play action. If you remember the Super Bowl season, you know Atlanta when when they had a good running back, he he is so much better when he could effectively operate play action. And that's what he has the opportunity to do there because Jonathan Taylor allows play action to be like a thing. You know, you guys see it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I think they did enough. I mean, I like Jelani Woods and he had versatility as a, 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 in pass protection as well as catching the football. He had the most targets in the, a, a, in the ACC last season. But remember, he didn't have the most catches. He just had the most targets. Um, so it was, he did, he had a number of catches. He had eight touchdowns as well. So I'm not saying I'm not taking something away, but there, it it means that he's not going to come out of the gate. You know, rookie tight ends aren't going to become Travis Kelsey. It's very rare that that's kind of the case. Right. So I I don't, and I like Alec Pierce. I'm not saying I don't, but I, I think they need like a, they need one more kind of piece to that puzzle. I think it's a, it's an advantage for both the Titans and the Colts that the other two teams did like totally confusing things and didn't really, I, I don't know. I don't, I, what are the Texans doing? I'm not sure. You know, so, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an advantage in the very, very difficult AFC, you know, just in general, but I think it's an advantage for both the Colts and the, and the Titans that the other two just kind of did some confounding things. And that will, that will, to me, that will like eventually, you know, catch up to the Colts come when they play non-division opponents like those two, but you still get four games against some questionable opponents. Yeah, and, and just picking up on that thought, I mean, they, they've got, the Colts have some options to add another piece, not a solution per se, but another piece to the puzzle. I know that they're being linked to Julio Jones because of the connection with Matt Ryan, but I, I think Jarvis Landry makes a lot of sense for them. I know T.Y. Hilton can still be in the mix too. I, I would be on the Landry train in Indy. 
I think a lot of teams are on the Landry train. I feel like, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like the, you know, like the Packers linked to the Landry train, like a lot yeah. Landry's like his value's gone up by this, like this off season for, for he's done nothing. He's gone on vacation and his value keeps going up, but good for him. I mean, all of these wide receivers, like, you know, they're, they've earned a huge payday. Thanks to, I would, I credit Christian Kirk, like congratulations Jags. You just made it so expensive for everyone else. Maybe that was their true contribution to this year's like off season. Like we're going to make everyone else super outpriced. So they're going to have to pay all of their money to their wide receiver because we paid Christian Kirk an outlandish contract. So whatever, like maybe that was their contribution, but interesting. But, um, you know, like when I look around Landry seems to be the one that I'm most interested where he goes. Um, because after that, there's, there's some drop-offs. I, I don't know if Julio Jones is healthy. So I, if he were healthy, I would like it, but. If you were healthy, that'd be a big surprise to everyone in Nashville. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't really know, like, of course, you know, they're friends I'm sure. And they like each other. And of course they have that, the familiarity, but like, if he's hurt, it doesn't matter. He's cheering on the sidelines. not going to do much for Matt, for Matt Ryan. <laughs> hey, maybe the Brady contract is the Christian Kirk equivalent of the, the off-season off acquisitions in media. Well, final 30 seconds, what did you think of the 10-year, $375 million deal for Brady when he's done? It's a good gig if you can get it. I mean, <laughs> him, man, I mean, wow, that's, I think it just made all of the other broadcasters mad. Like Troy Aikman's calling yeah. his agent being like, what in the heck are you doing? Pay me more. Like, I think it just caused a lot of like headaches for the other media networks, which is maybe what Fox was trying to do. Like, yeah, you have to go deal with these guys calling and yelling at you. Probably. C- Cynthia, thank you as always. Always great uh, perspective and great to catch up with you. Thanks so much. See you soon. All right. Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network there. Always great. Um, I, I'm sure she gets hit up all the time for, for fantasy football leagues, but we need to ask her the next time she's on if she wants to be in the 360 league. That'd be a huge hit. Yeah, uh, or at least help us with the draft. Maybe that's the consolation. As you, we need help with that uh, aspect of it, and then Paul can grade all the drafts that she has a uh, hand approved. In. Yes. Hey, uh, coming up, uh, a sports night and what to look for this evening, and uh, we look ahead to a big show coming your way on Wednesday. Outkick three hundred and sixty rolls on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 76ers and Heat have a series that are tied, uh, that is tied, two games apiece. Game five is tipping off in about an hour and a half. Also this evening, Paul's Phoenix Suns hosting the Dallas Mavericks. They are back at home. They're back at home. That's tonight at 9 o'clock. Chris Paul's not going to foul. That series also tied at two games apiece. Key, Chris Paul on the floor, not fouling. That's key for them. They need him on the floor. Uh, tomorrow's games, Bucks, Celtics, followed by Warriors and Grizzlies. Um, tonight, also, I should mention there's four Stanley Cup playoff games, tight series, hopefully some tight games. ESPN could use that. They've got two games on ESPN, two games on ESPN2. There you go, Paul. If they're tight, let me know. Yeah, no. Uh, we'll let each other know <laughs> while I'm watching the Yankees or some TV with my wife. You can also watch uh, Red Sox Braves tonight on TBS. <laughs> yeah, 
two teams I hate. I'll be tuning in for that. Michael McCann, uh, sports uh, lawyer, is going to join us tomorrow. A lot to discuss with him. We've got uh, we've got uh, multiple lawsuits going on in the sports world uh, right now. Uh, one at ESPN, one with Brett Favre in the state of Mississippi. Oh, it's an ugly story. Um, I'm curious about that. We've got the Brady contract. He can he can chime in on ten years, three hundred seventy five million for the the sports commentary of Tom Brady. A lot going on there, and um, I don't, I don't know if we'll ask Michael McCann this, but AJ Brown's deleted another tweet, so it's a, it's another Tuesday well, uh, for AJ Brown on social media. This I just one, had it open on my screen, and I well, went this to hit it to read a, uh, the responses to it, and it said this tweet no longer exists. Well, this was in regards to some football camp that he was going to host here in Middle Tennessee. Yeah, that, he was very enthusiastic about it because when the Titans put out news of it, I put out a tweet about it, and he retweeted it very quickly. But then right after the trade, they put out something like, uh, obviously, he's no longer able to host this camp. I don't know why that's obvious. And uh, he said something today about, uh, that. you know, we're trying to get somebody that you'd, you'd like to see, like Derek. Um, but then he deleted it. He de- I mean, his deletes are a temporary thing. What's the Snapchat that disappears? He uses, tw- <laughs> he uses Twitter like Snapchat. Yeah, there's a lot of effort Everything that goes, goes into away. that. You know, it's not like it's all up. You, you, you don't have a setting that will automatically delete a tweet for you. So but he, has he to, does it like, himself. And it's, it's normally like within 10 to 15 minutes. It's not very. This one like, was an hour. It lasted an hour. Oh, wow. Really good. Uh, record wow. setting. He did not want the, the responses. He was, not, he was not happy with that or he wasn't he, happy. And he said before you get all in your fields. But then he gets all in his field. Yeah, or the player that he mentioned that's going to host the camp <laughs> said, said, hey, man, uh, uh, I'm not I'm doing that. that day. <laughs> Take, get me out of your mentions. Don't at me, <laughs> is what um, Derrick Henry may have said to, uh, to A.J. Brown there. Back at it tomorrow. You can join us weekdays, 3 to 6 Eastern, 2 to 5 Central, across the Outkick Network. Keep working at it. Keep working at it. Don't block the box, but do, please, lock your locks.